Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 260 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 28th, 2013. It's a Thursday. Normally, we do our podcast on Monday. I was on the road, so I apologize for doing the podcast a little bit late. We're going to mix it up this week on the podcast as well. We'll have Gerard Martinez, National Recruiting Analyst for USCFootball.com, coming up a little bit later on the show, talking about USC Junior Day. Three new offers went out, one new commitment, a lot to get to on the recruiting front, and a lot of stuff to get to on the team as well. We're going to have Dan Weber joining us in the very first segment, talking a lot about what's going on as spring football is just around the corner, and three new assistant coaches will be roaming the sidelines for the USC Trojans. We're going to get to some of your questions, too. Not a lot this week. We're just going to kind of be talking about the topics, but you can send us your questions in for next week's show. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call us at 206 888-6755 888-6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave us a voicemail there. Now we have Coach Harvey Hyde on special assignment. He was ready to come in, actually, secret assignment, ready to come in on Monday. But I was on the road, like I said. But we have Dan Weber joining us. He's going to kick off the show this week. He always does a great job on, on the podcast. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't wait. Yeah. Time for some football. Football time. We've put some... The fans were excited when we started putting up these winter workout videos. They got to see the players in action, uh, catching passes and some of the line drills and stuff like that. I know you got to see some of that on Tuesday as well when I was out of town. Uh, But this is really the last week of winter workouts, Dan, with spring football starting on Tuesday. Well, yeah, they're getting – they came down to the wire, as you said, three new coaches. And I I, I was thinking, yeah, that was just last week, three new coaches, you know. (laughs) You got Clancy Pendergrass, so uh, it's a it's a different look, uh, uh, and it's, it's kind of fun to look them in the eye, get a chance to you know to get a sense of them. Uh, uh, you know, I think they're gonna like uh, I think they're gonna like Clancy Pendergrass and and the uh, and the way the defense is shaping up. I know uh, Coach Orgeron uh, loves it. He was just so excited the other day after. After uh, after the conditioning workout, when the coaches were allowed to be there and before they started throwing, and he just you know the first thing is you're gonna love Coach Pendergrass. He said, oh man, and of course he does because now he's uh, he's essentially looking at a front with five defensive linemen. You know, with uh, you know Devon Kennard and and uh, Morgan Breslin. You know, you could call them outside linebackers or you know stand up. Uh, you know, guys with Leonard Williams and George Uco at the ends, but, you know, kind of like that hybrid, you know, tackle spot. And then you got, uh, you know, maybe a Kenny Bigelow and Antoine Woods and, and guys like that at the nose. And uh, I think uh, I think Coach Orgeron is, is, is mighty, mighty pleased with the possibility that, you know, he gets to coach five of those guys up front and, uh, and that they're going to be attacking. And you know, with the idea of playing on the opponent's side of the line of scrimmage and being disruptive and, 
and playing to their uh, the strengths of their athletes. So uh, I think, uh, you know, as much as people say they're all oh, they're worried about, you know, the secondary or it's young and what have you, I think the idea of having good enough, I mean, as good athletes as they're going to have and to be able to play more, um, you know, man-to-man and just, you know, make it as simple as possible but as aggressive as possible and as athletic as possible, I think it's a nice, uh, it's a nice, uh, you know, way to have a young team, a young athletic team. I think this is the defense that you'd, you'd like them, you know, to get a chance to play. And I think it just, you know, very fortunately fits uh, USC's personnel. I mean, I think, you know, with, with, um, uh, Deion Bailey going back to, to safety, I think it gives them that mix of, you know, uh, a veteran uh, in, a, in a position where they're really going to need a veteran. You know, he won't be, uh, he won't be hitting this spring, but, uh, and he thinks that's a good thing for him to give his body a chance to heal after a couple of years of heavy-duty hitting at, you know, linebacker. But uh, having him in the secondary, you know, kind of changes the whole nature as much as you think, Oh, it's a bunch of young guys. Uh, you do get a real serious, uh, you know, leader back there, which uh, I think it, you know works really well. So anyway, good good sense about how this defense is shaping up. Well, we get to see a lot more of it and what these coaches are like starting on Tuesday. And before I, before we get into some of those coaches, Dan, some big news has come out, and you know, Lane Kiffin has taken a lot of PR hits and and USC for how they've handled the sanctions and all that stuff. They, they did something to help the fans a little bit. They announced that these uh, Tuesday-Thursday practices that start at 4 p.m. on Howard Jones Field um, would be open to the public for viewing uh, from up above on Dado Field. There'll be eight practices total where the first 200 fans that arrive can come and actually watch practice again. We haven't seen that since before 2010 when the sanctions came in. So I, I think the fans are kind of excited about that. Well, I'm excited about it. I mean, I know, you know, it's so hard to say, I told you so <laughs> two years ago. You were saying do it, it. yeah. <laughs> but at least they're sticking their, you know, put into the, you know, the little bit of testing out the waters and seeing if they can, they can do it. Well, of course they can do it. It's a different field. It's not, you know, it's not the same facility. There's a big fence, you know, they can't. I mean, I always thought that USC should have challenged that penalty. It was related to nothing other than Paul D. and company being, you know, mean because they wanted to be mean because they didn't like USC. Uh, It had nothing to do with any of the uh, supposed infractions or anything like that. It just troubled them. They didn't like the idea of the, you know, and I thought it really hurt. I thought it's it's taken away from the program the last couple of years. I, I do think there was a family atmosphere and uh, where you could, you know, people felt comfortable that they were, it was okay to be there. And these were guys, you know, that had played in the, you know, you'd see, you know, Jim Hardy and guys like that had been there, you know, every Tuesday for, you know, 50 years. And all of a sudden he can't come, you know, former great Trojan quarterback can't come to practice anymore. And uh, that was wrong. And, you know, whether they didn't, you know, fight enough to get that back, uh, I think they should have made the Committee on Infractions defend 
why they were uh, thought that that was a legitimate penalty because it obviously wasn't. But for USC to now say what we've always said they could do is use the dough, that's good. That's a step in the right direction. Good for them. Uh, keep it up. Keep figuring out ways to, you know, bring back that sense of Trojan family and uh, being part of the school and the neighborhood and everything else that you, that you could do. I think it's a it's a terrific terrific thing for them to be doing it, and I think the players will really welcome it. Uh, and and I think it's good to have them. Uh, I think Pete was smart when he said he wanted them to, you know, have to practice under pressure and make it as much like a game as possible and having people there. <clears throat> I think actually, you know, gives you more of that game, you know, sense of, uh, you know, game conditions. And, and uh, it's one of the things I like about Clancy Pendergast. He said practice for him. He said what you have to do at practice, you have to play the game. You know, there's no sense in practicing what you're not going to play, how how you're not going to play the game. Uh, and that was the, you know, the great success of Pete, I think, was that their practice, practices probably approximated game conditions better than anybody else's in the country. And uh, I think, obviously, you know, we wrote enough about it last year. They got away from that. And uh, I just, I think you have to practice the way you're going to play or you're going to play the way you practice. And uh, so this is a good, a good thing all around, but it's, it's a great thing actually. Um, all right. Well, let's, we'll see. Hopefully we'll see uh, a whole bunch of fans out there. We might see some interaction between the players and, um, and the fans pointing up after a big play, some cheering and stuff. So I think that'll be kind of fun. Yeah. I guess I can hear the cheering or hand signals or whatever. <laughs> yeah. They're not allowed. They're not allowed to come down on the field. They're not allowed to, uh, talk to the players, all that kind of thing, but they're allowed to be there and they're allowed to watch. And, and it, it is just over the fence. So, I mean, it's almost like being there and it, it's a heck of a good place to watch, uh, you know, to watch it from. So uh, good for them. I mean, it, they're lucky that they've got the, you know, the Dado field, you know, is you know, the facility is right, right at the fence. So, but, uh, but it was always there. And it always could have been, it always could have been done, but, uh, you know, now they can do it and they're going to do it and good for them. All right. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about these new coaches. Uh, you already mentioned Clancy Pendergast, um, and, you know, he was hired a while ago, but the three new ones that came out and, uh, we broke the news, I think on all of them. I, Mike Summers actually, yeah, I think so. yeah, we, we had the first, well, I think Bruce Feldman had the first story up on Mike Summers. Um, Gerard was the first one to tweet about it because, Mike Summers actually contacted Zach Banner, and Zach Banner tweeted about it, and then he deleted that tweet. But we broke the story on uh, Mike Eckler and had the first story up there. Same thing with Tommy Robinson. So if you were on uscfootball.com, you knew about these coaching hires first. But uh, those are three guys, Mike Eckler for the linebacker coach, Tommy Robinson, uh, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals at, at running backs, and Mike Summers uh, doing the offensive line. They have some other duties in there too, and maybe you can kind of give people a breakdown of these three guys. Well, uh, I was uh, I got to talk to Summers. I, I had to greet him after Tuesday's practice. As uh, I said, he and I are, I guess, the only two absolute Kentuckians. Uh, we'll let uh, T. Martin. Uh, he passed through there, coach there, but uh, and then and then Lamar Dawson. But uh, uh, it was fun to talk to him. Uh, you know, his his father-in-law is Joe B. Hall, the Kentucky uh, basketball coach, and we used to kid 
you couldn't go to a football, you know, big high school football game or basketball game in Kentucky, and and, his, and Toby Hall would be there. You know, he's 85 years old now, and he, you know, he's still. Uh, if you go to the, you know, the biggest game in the state, you're liable to see him there. A really neat guy. And so uh, it was fun to talk about. Uh, I think the first year I covered Kentucky football was uh, uh, Mike Summers' uh, first year as a grad assistant there. And so uh, I like – he's got a look about him. He's got a toughness. Just there's a look in the guy's eyes. And he and Pendergast both have this kind of look of, you know, we're going to get it done and we're going to – you know, we're going to come after people and we're going to be physical. And, uh, you know, we're going to – you know – we can get this done here. And, uh, you know, a, a guy who's been a lot of places and, uh, you know, uh, done a really good job. You know, he knows the Pac-12. I mean, he had five years at Oregon State, uh, which is a real plus, uh, where he was assistant head coach as well, and he's the run game coordinator. And I think, you know, if you had to say in order of, of importance, fix the run game. Fix the off, start with the offensive line and fix the run game and make sure, you know, they had some good, you know, good days and good efforts by running backs, but they weren't ever sure that they it would be there when they needed it. It, it wasn't there in the short yardage stuff where they absolutely have, had to have it. And so that caused, you know, kind of a breakdown in the offense, and then they didn't always, they couldn't be sure they were going to get protection so that, that you could go through all your reads and, and look at all your options in the passing game and forcing, I think, Matt Barkley to have to get rid of the football uh, often way too soon. So I think uh, uh, starting with the offensive line and Mike Summers, he looks like, you know, the, a, a really, uh, you know, hard-nosed teacher, uh, positive sort of a guy, uh, you know, produced one of the best linemen in the country, uh, Larry Warford. Uh, from Kentucky uh, uh, in this year's NFL draft, a big guard. Uh, Kentucky, you know, without a great deal of talent, was able to run the football successfully in the Southeastern Conference, and that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, so um, I think, you know, the two areas where they needed to get to get the right guy, uh, they did that on, on defense and, and on the offensive line. Uh, Mike Eckler was uh, didn't get a chance to talk to him. Uh, it was interesting when you see Mike in person, you realize, man, he must have been a dynamo to be able to play linebacker for those those Kansas State teams in the '90s that were really starting to, you know, Bill Snyder was really starting to get get his program going and going to bowl games and what have you. Uh, and everybody talks about you know Eckler and. His, um, you know, his vertical leap on the sideline and his chest bumping and all that. I mean, you just like the thought of, of having that kind of, uh, you know, tough, emotional, uh, fiery guy who clearly wanted to be at USC. You know, was interested in coming last year. He's a guy that's coming in with uh, defensive coordinator responsibilities in the Big Ten at Indiana. So, uh, you know, wasn't even a, you know, in terms of position-wise. You know, he's going to, you know, be a linebacker coach after being a co-defensive coordinator. So he clearly wanted to be here. That's got to be, a, you know, uh, got got to be a plus. And it's interesting, didn't, don't know as much about, you know, Tommy Robinson and, and, and didn't, you know, get a chance. I think the interesting thing is they gave him uh, the title also uh, a passing game coordinator. Now, 
whether that's one of those titles for title's sake. I know he 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 does have the, the advantage of he you know he did coach uh, uh, you know a lot of the passing and he isn't just a running back coach. I mean his his experience and it gives him. I think with Eckler gives him another you know a recruiter in the Midwest and I think that's a that's a big bonus having a you know a Big 12 Big 10 guy uh, in the mix so they replace uh, you know uh, one you know Midwestern recruiter Marvin Sanders for uh, uh, for Eckler and then with with Tommy Robinson they get a you know an Alabama Florida guy who um, really has, uh, you know, those kinds of connections and, and also an NFL guy. And I think at the running back position, you want a guy who can tell kids, you know, very similar to Kennedy, that this is how you do it. This is what you have to do, you know, to get to the next level. This is what you're going to do at the next level. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, it looks like a good group. It's a it's a mature Group and it's a group that I think will challenge Lane in in a lot of the right ways and and I think you know there will be other voices in the room uh, when decisions are made and I think that's a really good thing I think you know you need all the voices uh, you know when you're a younger head coach and kind of headstrong and and uh, you know you need to hear people telling you no you can't do that or no that's a bad idea or you know just open it up and I hopefully that that that's what happens uh that there are a lot of voices in the room and that uh the decisions are really group decisions I think the way the offense is shaping up there are going to be so many people involved now that can go two ways I mean I think the way I'm going to choose to take it right now is it will be much more of a cooperative effort and much more of a this we're all in this together and we're all talking about doing the right things, and the kids pick up on uh, that, you know, their assistant coach at their position has really got the ability to make things happen, and that uh, the head coach has has bought into all the assistants. And and so I think it can work, you know, in a positive direction. But I I think the moving uh, uh, John Baxter and letting him go back to uh, not just be special teams but also – Coach the tight ends. I think he had he had a you know really good history at Fresno of coaching tight ends for you know a dozen years, and I think that's a that's a positive move as well. So, you know, I think the potential is there. You know, with this coaching staff, I think uh, I'm kind of interesting just interested in seeing how it all goes together. Now, what? The fact that they're coming, yeah, the fact that they're coming in late might be a good thing in a way <laughs> because it allows each one of them to be his own man more so, uh, uh, you know, from the get-go, you know, where, you know, it's not like, oh, we all have to do it this way. It's more a case of, you know, you hired me for my strengths and for what I can do and for giving you a fresh eye. I mean, I'd like to see, you know, Mike Summers be able to move around, mix and match all the offensive linemen and and say, you know, let's start over again and, and, what's the best position for every one of these guys and take a look at them in, in different ways than, you know, than they've looked at them before in different positions and just see, you know, what's the best. I mean, Alabama doesn't have any problem moving guys around and trying to get the best, uh, the best fit for their five guys. I think, uh, I don't think that would be a bad way to go at all. Just take a, take a fresh look and see where we go from here. 
Well, I guess one of the concerns that uh, if you look at the staff on paper, Dan, and for people to know, you get nine full-time assistant coaches. Uh, I guess you know you count Lane Kiffin; he'd be a tenth. You know, he's the head coach. Certainly consider him an offensive coach. Um, there right. are six, uh, well, five offensive assistants that are full-time on the offensive side of the ball. Three full-time assistants that are on the defensive side of the ball. And you have John Baxter, who does special teams, but also coaches tight end. So I think you could include him as an offensive assistant. So of the full-time coaches, seven of them are directly involved or, or partially involved in offense, and only three are involved on the defensive side. Is, is that kind of a concern for you? I don't remember seeing a, well, a staff breakdown I'm gonna like take this. it. I'm going to take it like this. <clears throat> if you've got six guys already coaching offense, you really don't need the head coach coaching offense, okay? <laughs> so is that addition by subtraction? Maybe. Uh, but you do need a head coach. <clears throat> Again, we said, and Lane agreed with us, the two weeks of practice before the Sun Bowl, before they got to El Paso, were the best two weeks of practice all year. That's because it was a shared responsibility and, you know, when Lane, uh, with uh, Clay Houghton calling the plays and, uh, you know, uh, Kennedy in the, in the, you know, in the huddle and T. Martin uh, much more, you know, was able to be more hands-on with the wide receivers. And, you know, uh, it was a much more shared responsibility. It didn't work out that way the last week and, you know, in the, in the Sun Bowl game. Maybe it was as a result to some extent of the, you know, of, of going away from that. But uh, but if, I think if, 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 you know, having those numbers on offense allows Lane to totally become the head coach, totally become the observer. I mean, honestly, if I were USC's fans and if they let you, you know, if, if you could go down to Tuscaloosa and buy the old Bear Bryant power and bring it back and say not only will we have the film guys up there, the head coach will go up there too. And his job will be like old Bear Bryant, you know. His job will be to coach the assistant coaches and let them coach his players. I think it's a step in the right direction if it can work out that way. As far as having kind of this lean, mean trio of defensive coaches, if uh, if that allows you to really be hands-on with Clancy Pendergast. Now, when we talked to him, I got the sense that he – wouldn't have been totally opposed to having a, a guy with him coaching the defensive backs. I think he and, you know, if I had to guess, he and Marvin, for several reasons, weren't on the same wavelength. And Marvin, you got to like, I always liked Marvin Sanders from the standpoint that he was his own man and he wasn't, he wasn't going to give in and, and give up. And I'm not sure that maybe he and, he and Clancy, you know, saw things exactly the, the same way from recruiting to, um, uh, you know, exactly how they wanted to play the defense. So, you know, I think that just was one of those things that, that just unfortunately happened the way it did. But it does allow them, I think, to be simpler, more basic, more fundamental on defense, not to be, you know, try to do too many things and to be uh, have, you know, the defensive coordinator, also the hands-on guy with the youngest position group. I think it allows him to really see what do they know? What can they do? I thought he said some really good things at the, uh, 
at the uh, Nike clinic when he said, it doesn't matter what I know, it matters what they can do. You know, it's what they know, it's what they understand. I think if you read what Lane said about about Monty the other day, yesterday, he said basically Monty didn't have enough time. 20 hours a week wasn't enough. 25 years in the NFL wasn't a good background for coaching in college football and being able to, you know, all the things you could do in the NFL, uh, you couldn't do in college football. Well, I think this allows Clancy, who's had the three years in the Pac-12 the last three years, I think, it, you know, it's kind of the perfect background. He's had, you know, really good success with uh, improving his uh, secondary guys, you know, in the NFL, and he's had three years at Cal. So I think it can work. And I know why people might be, you know, nervous about the balance and all that. But, you know, I tried to write the other day the best-case scenario, and I'm sticking with the best-case scenario right now. Uh, I think it can work. Uh, I can understand why people would go, oh, I don't know about that. You know, if somebody said, yeah, should we – we got one more spot to fill. We're still not sure. Should we hire defensive back, you know, coach – just specifically the defensive backs, and if you could find exactly the right guy, yeah, I'd probably go that route. But, uh, you know, having two offensive line coaches right now, if you had to say what position maybe is the most important that that gets better, I think it's the offensive line. I think just having Pendergast and his added, you know, his, his, his way of, uh, of playing defense makes the defense enough better already, even with the younger secondary. Uh, offensive line, I think, really does need to be worked on, reconstructed. Um, I think these guys have the potential to be pretty darn good. But, uh, you know, they went so far south last year uh, with the lack of physicality, the lack of fundamentals, the lack of hitting anybody, the lack of responsibility as to who was supposed to do what. Um, you know, the lack of competition, that it just, you know, it just it didn't work. And it's got to it's gotta completely change. So, you know, if if you've got more people to do that, uh, we'll give them the, the benefit of the doubt there. Well, I guess the, there's a lot of questions that we want to get answered when spring ball starts. And um, I, things, I guess, start a little late for the players when they were doing their players-only workouts. And there was a lot of... You know, there was not a lot of coaches in place, and they, it seemed now that everything has kind of come together. A lot of the questions are answered, maybe not all of them. We, everyone still wants to know, is Lane Kiffin going to be calling the plays? I don't know if we're even going to get that answer during spring ball, just the way Lane Kiffin normally answers it. I, I could see him putting that off until we're still trying to decide how we're going to go yeah, about it. Unless the answer is no. If the answer is no, he might tell us. I don't think he's going to tell us if the answer is yes, exactly. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't, The thing I noticed in the two weeks when Clay was calling the plays at practice is they just got in more plays. They ran them quicker. And one of the things, you know, that it certainly looks like they're emphasizing in everything they're doing is really quick repetition. Really, uh, a lot of uh, the players after, you know, yesterday – and Robert Woods was talking about this, uh, is how much match, uh, one-on-one matches they were doing in the physical drills and how quickly they were setting up for them. No lumbering up to the, you know, getting your stance and 
you know, looking like a, you know, 10-year NFL veteran. Uh, so there was a different, there's a different vibe about it in terms of pace and tempo and, and, and all of that. And uh, I know there was at times uh, maybe an attempt to kind of get a little bit away from the Pete Carroll uh, era, you know, no, uh, no walkthroughs on the road and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, but I think there were some things Pete did that were so good and so true. And I think the pace of practice is, uh, is, is really important. And I think what we've seen is, you know, and, and there are some days where, uh, they're so tired that, uh, they're really not uh, able to do as much on the throwing sessions. But, you know, again, you can take that in the really good way is they are really, really working them hard. And if you want to say what's one, you know, one way of extending the roster uh, or managing the roster, protecting the roster, last year one of the solutions was, well, let's just take our time and don't run many plays. We'll be the 12th out of the 12 teams in the Pac-12 and running plays. Or you could really get them in great shape and hope that that gets you through uh, a lot of situations. And to me, that's the, uh, that would be my preferred you know, solution to that problem. And it looks like they're going in that direction in terms of they look like they're in, good, in pretty good shape. I mean, I, I'm pretty impressed with, with how hard they're working, um, even though it might take a little bit away from the throwing sessions. Uh, I, I'm I'm all in favor of really really working them hard and really making them compete in these uh, in these conditioning sessions. I think that's a, a really really good idea. I think they got to bring back competition, and I think one of the downsides of not having physical practices is, is it's hard to hard to have them compete with one another. Hard to have them compete for positions if they're really not going all out in practice. So. I think bringing back competition, that was another, you know, early tenant of Pete's uh, coaching was, you know, Competition Tuesday. And, and, you know, it went away a little bit, but, uh, you know, even with Pete. Uh, but I think it was one of the best things they did, and I think I think it's coming back. I think it's going to almost have to just because you got a lot of new coaches looking at kids they don't know. And they're going to make some judgments. And one, how do you make a judgment unless you're really competing out there? So, I think, I think there are ways that you can look at, at what's happening as saying this is kind of coming together the right way. All right, Dan. Well, looking forward to it. We'll do one more show on Monday. We can get a little, give a little more of a preview of USC spring football. If you guys have any questions, you can always email us podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll try to answer them next week on the show so it'll be a, a short little break for us before the next show dan but i appreciate you you coming on later on the week and thanks for changing the schedule up a little bit oh no problem good uh it's fun to come on after a after a big basketball win last oh yeah night. we didn't even mention finally, that. that where was that team <laughs> they've, they've got some athletes it, it's the kind of thing that made you kind of you know wish uh uh you know that they could get turned loose and figure out how to you know they don't have guys that are maybe completely all around, you know, skilled basketball guys, but boy, they got some athletes and if they can, you know, just play athletically and come after people, 
you know, they, I mean, they're more athletic, for example, you know, than Arizona. I mean, they've got more guys that can run, jump, and, you know, size and all of that. And uh, maybe that's a, an omen for the uh, football team as well. Just go out there and play and play hard and play to your strengths and uh, and don't back down, you know. Don't give up. Don't give anybody anything. And so nice. maybe it'll all go together here. Yeah, we slipped a little basketball represent. We should have mentioned it anyway. That was a big win over uh, number 11-ranked Arizona. So c- congratulations to B- Coach uh, Bob Cantu on that big win. Yep. And th- yeah. Thanks again, Dan. Very good. Yeah, and uh, great stuff as always. We're going to come back in 30 seconds with Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk a little recruiting. Switch gears here on the Parastyle Podcast. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Parastyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Have Gerard Martinez, USCFootball.com, National Recruiting Analyst, joining us now. And uh, we didn't do, I I promised Gerard, I I let people know on the regular podcast, we're going to do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast after signing day. We never really got to one, but we're going to do it part of the regular Peristyle Podcast now. And uh, welcome back to the show, Gerard. How have you been? I've been good. Um, you know, nothing really slows down around USC. I mean, post-signing day, we obviously had a lot of coverage on the coaching changes and the coaching turnover and how that's going to affect recruiting and then going forward, having junior day. And, um, you know, now we're going to have spring ball here in a couple of days. So <laughs> it's fast and furious and kind of simple. Uh, you can only get so much in at a time. So, you know, at this point in time, I think, you know, recruiting is going to start to take a back seat to spring football so we're going to try to get in a little bit of a, a semi-blast, I guess, before uh, we actually get in the thick of things with spring ball. Yeah, it was just it was really tough after signing day with the coaching changes and, and stuff like that. So I do apologize, but we wanted to get on there. It's, it's been a lot of recruiting, though, the last few days. I was up in Fresno and got to see two of the latest offers uh, from USC. Uh, and, you know, they were, they were at the USC Junior Day that we want to talk about now, but... Um, yeah, I got to see those guys do some interviews. You can see those interviews up on uscfootball.com. We're going to have some video highlights and stuff as well. But, Gerard, it was kind of strange. I guess we didn't expect a lot of offers to come out, but only three offers coming out of the USC Junior Day over the weekend. Truth be told, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, USC could have gone two different ways with Junior Day. They could have gone and, and really shotgunned some offers out there and gave a lot of kids offers and just to kind of get their foot in the door with kids. Obviously, USC is not the hot name right now, and so you could kind of drum up some interest. And These days, verbal scholarship offers are really nothing. They're, they really mean nothing. They're, they're, they're even worse than you know verbal commitments anymore. They just basically, hey, we really like you. We want to offer you a scholarship, but there's nothing that comes in writing until September of a recruit senior year. So there's not a lot of substance to a lot of these verbal offers, 
And so a lot of schools, especially schools back east, come out west, and just to get kids interested, just to get in their heads, they say, hey, you know, we're going to give you a scholarship offer, Notre Dame, Florida, Ohio State. Many of these schools have done that. And USC does the same back east. They go out to Georgia, they go out to Florida, and they give a lot of verbal scholarship offers. But you know that those kids are not going to commit to those verbal scholarship offers this early in the process, not having unofficially visited or officially visited the school. So it's kind of one of those things back and forth, both coasts, you see schools and programs do that. But instead, they went with the conservative look and decided to really just offer, you know, three commits or excuse me, three uh, recruits um, in uh, Joe Mixon, who's a six-one, two hundred-pound running back from Oakley, California, which is up there by Oakland. Uh, he's a teammate of uh, Darrell Daniels, who was a, a wide receiver that USC recruited pretty hard up into the camps. And, um, you know, we've seen Mixon play in person. He's a, a bigger, stronger, very muscular back, has a, kind of an upright running style, um, but very fast for a guy his size. And he's a guy that's going to put on more weight as well. Uh, still a little bit of a combo back. I really wouldn't necessarily call him a power back. A lot of people compare him to Justin Davis. Um, I, I don't know if I would quite say he's like Justin Davis. I think Justin Davis is a little more of a lean, um, kind of a, 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 a little more of a power back than how he was used, but, you know, has some, some open field quickness and, and can do some things in the open field that I don't know if Mixon can do. Mixon is fast, but I think Mixon is a little more straight line in the open field. Um, they also offered a scholarship to uh, the teammates, from East uh, Central East High School up there in Fresno, uh, who you uh, visited uh, this past week, uh, Ryan, um, in uh, Mikea Quick and uh, Deshaun Smallwood. Deshaun Smallwood committed on the spot to his uh, verbal scholarship offer, 6'1", 285-pound defensive tackle, and a guy that, um, according to uh, the assistant coach there at Central East, uh, Tony Perry, who's been around for a long time and known as the DB guru, well, he's got a defensive lineman there at uh, Central East that he likes a lot. And in the conversations with Ed Erdron at Junior Day, Ed Erdron made the comparison uh, of Smallwood to Mike Patterson, who was obviously a very successful player at USC, went on to Philadelphia Eagles, just was released by the Philadelphia Eagles, actually. Yes. Uh, so an undersized, uh, very quick, uh, great lateral feet, um, gets upfield, uh, uses leverage really well, uh, a kind of player that you can put on the one shade or you can even put it three technique because he's not got enough quickness in a one-gap defense to get in the opposite backfield and make some plays. Um, so USC, you know, with their, their fourth uh, verbal commitment of the 2014 class, all linemen at this point, um, you've got the offensive lineman, uh, Toa Lobendon, who also made the junior day, uh, this is 6'4", 275-pound uh, guard from uh, Lakewood High School who transferred over to La Habra. And then you've got the two offensive tackles, Jordan Pullen from La Jolla and Casey Tucker uh, from uh, Chandler Hamilton High School. Uh, so you've got some beef there, and USC is definitely going after the Lions early. And um, the, the other guy, like I said before, to get the scholarship offer uh, is Makai Quick. And uh, he's a six foot, 175-pound, uh, both kind of two-way uh, phenom there at, at uh, Central East plays cornerback, also plays receiver, a pretty dynamic and open-fielded receiver. We saw him at the five-star challenge in Atlanta and uh, didn't really do too much there. He was kind of one of those guys that it seemed like uh, the heat and then the time change kind of got to him and, and really wasn't able to do a whole lot. Um, but uh, a lot of people really rave about him. And you saw him in person just uh, a couple days ago and, and probably could give a little bit more of a scouting report on him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Smallwood, Sean Smallwood, didn't get to see him work out because it was a uh... – Seven on seven workout with uh, with Tony Perry, the DB guru up there. But they're they're going to Las Vegas this weekend for the big seven on seven tournament, and uh, they look like they have a really good team. He said that they were uh, 
one game away from the finals last year. I guess they lost in the semifinals to uh, the Bishop Gorman team that they beat earlier on. But so that'll, that'll be fun if we get out to check that out. Rivals will be there for sure. I'm still on the fence if we're going to go out for Vegas this weekend. But uh, Smallwood definitely looked the part. He kind of looked like a Mike Patterson type. And he kept telling me about active nose. They wanted an active nose like you know that, that was quick and, and in there and kind of wreaking havoc in the middle the defense and he certainly likes the three four it was a that's a recruit that usc wouldn't have got if they were playing the four three still he's a nose tackle that's what he wants to play so uh i, I think it's a pretty good get for usc there but like i said didn't get to see him work out makai quick i mean i watched him for probably two and a half hours one night and like two and a half hours the next night on uh monday and tuesday nights um got to watch him out there and uh it certainly looked like he's a really dynamic athlete um He's a, he's a fun kid. He was having a lot of fun with the different workouts, uh, you know, going through one-on-ones. He was certainly a leader uh, on the team there and, and kind of helping some of the younger corners and defensive backs go through the different drills. And, you know, he was always the first one to run through. And I uh, just was just was doing some crazy stuff with his feet. He could, you know, he has certainly has the speed to, to make up, but he usually puts his feet are, are good enough that he's in the right spot most of the time. Uh, had a few picks. Uh, while I was watching him, seven on seven, they didn't really want to throw his way all that much, and I think you see that quite a bit um, with uh, high-level cornerbacks when they're when they're playing these things. If, if a guy stands out that much, there's really not a reason to to throw his way if you don't have to. But they did sometimes, and he he got he got his fair share of uh, his hands on the ball and some picks. So we'll have a lot of video. I took a ton of video of him. You could see him going through ladder drills and. Uh, and uh, Coach Perry up there does a whole lot of different defensive back drills. I mean, a lot of times we see these practices, Gerard, where they're just kind of getting out there and throwing lines and then jumping to seven on seven. They spend a good 45 minutes or so going through drills, all these different footwork drills and cone drills and things like that. So I, I got a lot of footage of of him doing that. But certainly an impressive athlete. Um, you know, Rivals has him as a four-star. He calls himself a five-star. I, I, I don't see why he couldn't end up being a – a five star. He, he seems like he's that kind of talent. Really seems like a special athlete to me. And w- you know, hopefully, we'll get to see him again this weekend. Yeah, I, I think the the one question is is a do you put him at quarterback or do you put him at receiver? You know, I think that there's an equal amount of schools that kind of have opinions either way with him. And uh, and B would be just you know, does he have that hunger? Does he have that work ethic? Is he you know going to be a guy that's a go getter that's going to be good for a, a receiver room or good for a corner room? I think disposition wise, I mean you can kind of see the the, the flamboyance of a defensive back. Uh, but if he's going to play a receiver, uh, is he a guy that's going to go out there and, and lead by example, or he's going to be a guy that is a little more of a talker? And sometimes that can be um, you know divisive. Uh, when you get into a receiver, you know, situation, and and you've got two or three guys that are good players, and everybody obviously wants the ball, and it's one of those things where guys have to be a little more unselfish. So, you know, that's that's going to be, I think, the, the the debate about him going through, and I don't know if it's going to get really solved um, because he's one of those guys that really I've seen both ways has been a good player. You know, I, I see what people say with him with the ball in his hands. He definitely has that speed. And he definitely has good vision in the open field. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he's got great height for a corner. And he's a guy that's got great, 
you know, burst off his back pedal. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. You know, usually you got to lean with one of those guys. You kind of see him and go, nah, he's definitely better here. He's going to be better there. Uh, but he's one of those guys that really is a real 50-50 guy when it, terms of, it comes to defense and offense. Yeah, he told me, I mean, for his, his top five, and it's uh, off the top of the head, I think it's Oregon, Notre Dame, Alabama, Oklahoma, and USC. Um but he said that they were all recruiting him as a, a two-way athlete, and he, USC talked to him about doing that, being able to play both ways and, and also play on uh, special teams. So he wants to be active in all three phases of the game. To me, just look, I mean, just see him in those couple of workouts, I just, it would be hard for me not to want to put him at cornerback. Um, but, I mean, I said the same thing about the Anthony Thomas. That's why I wanted to see him, too, and he's obviously excelled at, at, at Oregon, uh, not playing cornerback, but... You know, I, I think it's going to depend on the system that you're in. and, and Exactly, the yeah. But yeah I, that, that has a lot of context with it. I yeah. mean, if, if D'Anthony Thomas was playing at USC, it's probably a different story with him on offense as opposed to defense. Yeah, we, you know, you get to see him. We, we do our best to scout these guys. We get to see him enough. And I would have, for a USC system, I thought D'Anthony Thomas would have been great at, at cornerback. Um, he probably could have been helping this team right now, you know, returning kicks and stuff like that too. Um but, you know, at Oregon, it, it seems to be perfectly suited to in the role he's in with, uh, on offense. So we'll kind of see there. But, yeah, those I mean, those guys were really impressive. And like I said, check out uscfootball.com. we got some uh, video coming up of of him. Um, anything else, Gerard, from uh, from the junior day? Those were the kind of the big names, the, the commits and the, the guys that got offers. What about some of the other guys? Well, I, I think, you know, there wasn't a, a whole lot of news from the junior day. Obviously, UFC coming away from, you know, last signing day and, and so many decommits and kind of the uncertainty a little bit with the coaching staff, you know, just getting basically those new coaches in that weekend, you know, where you had uh, Mike Eckler basically coming in, uh, Tommy Robinson, and, and Mike Summers all that weekend. You know, those guys still have to go through some film. They they all come from areas that are not local, and they don't really know a lot of those kids that are coming in and looking at USC. Tommy Robinson's coming from the NFL, so he wasn't recruiting in the last three years. Mike Summers is coming from Kentucky. He wasn't recruiting California kids for the last you know, however years he was at Kentucky. And the same thing with Mike Eckler being at Indiana. So none of those guys are really regionally savvy. So you got to understand, I think, with that process, they themselves have to look at their positions. They have to look at the crop of talent, the pool of talent locally, and be able to evaluate them before they go out and they start, you know, getting on the table for certain guys. So that, in and of itself, uh, I think was probably a reason why USC was very conservative. Um, the three guys that got offered all came from regions that had coaches that were coming back on the staff. Ed Ergeron recruits the Central Valley, so his two guys got offered. And then you have uh, Clay Helton up there in Northern California recruiting Joe Mixon, so Joe Mixon got an offer. Joe Mixon's offer was kind of funny because I had talked to Joe, and I assumed that he was already off the campus. And so he called me and said, you know, we started talking about Junior Day, and uh, I, of course, asked him, I said, so did they give you any hint of an offer? Did they talk to you much about an offer? And he said, no, there was really no discussion of an offer, which really surprised me, uh, just because this is a kid that's got, you know, 31, 32 offers going in to USC Junior Day. And so I speak with him, I get off the phone, I report, you know, no, no talk of an offer yet. And then about maybe 10 minutes later, he put on – uh, on Twitter that he USC had offered him. So I'm going, well, what, how did that happen? Did they call his coach or something? What the heck was the mix up here? And it turned out he wasn't off campus, that he was just leaving campus when he called me. 
and he had talked to Coach Helton you know, between the, the point of talking to me for an interview and then leaving campus, and he had actually gotten that scholarship offer. So he was really pumped up and excited you know, to get that offer, especially after thinking he didn't have an offer. And that's going to be an interesting you know, recruitment. I mean, he likes USC. He likes the tradition of USC. He, he likes there's, – there's a lot of things about USC that he kind of can see himself at USC playing and being successful uh, in that offense and just, I think, with that – tradition at USC. So the junior day definitely helped with him. I think the guy that, you know, maybe it helped with the most was Juju Smith, John Smith, uh, the receiver slash safety out of Long Beach Poly. He's one of the best players uh, regionally, if not nationally, uh, at that athlete position, uh, about 6'1", 190 pounds. Um, USC talked to him a lot about playing wide receiver. I think he kind of wants to play wide receiver. You know, physically, he has that ability to play safety, and you, you watch him on film and you see flashes really both sides of the ball uh, that he's able to make plays. And I think that uh, just his excitement and his, his, his feeling about the coaches and kind of, uh, you know, where USC was from a tradition standpoint and where USC's going was all positive and made a real positive impression on him. I mean, he really came away raving about that unofficial visit, and that's big because – you know, there's there's that handful of guys that USC has to kind of cement in and and try to really develop locally because you've got UCLA. UCLA is going to go after all those guys, and UCLA is going to try to make that push. Hey, look, we beat them last year. You know, we're going to beat them next year, and you know that program is in disarray, and we've got you know the 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 stock going up in our program. And so, you know, USC has to be able to get in. And really, these coaches, I mean, for the most part, they have to sell USC and not just, you know, coaches individually. they got to get behind the brand of USC. And I think that's kind of what showed through with, uh, with Juju Smith. I think he really was kind of buying into the brand of USC and not necessarily just, hey, we had a good year this year. or Oh, we didn't have a good year, but we're going to have a good year next year. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff, you know, that comes and goes. That's an up and down type of roller coaster. You really got to kind of be behind. Hey, look at this is this is what USC as a brand has to offer. You know, educationally, network, all those kind of things. And I think that was really talking to all the kids was the emphasis from junior day. There was a lot of talk of academics. I mean, a lot of uh, the tours and the facilities and the conversations that both the recruits and the parents had were really about academics. All right. Well, hey, Gerard, uh, I didn't want to do a lot of questions because i've been kind of worn out on the road here but we have we have a few we can get to quickly if that's okay with you um that's fine with me little recruiting i'll knock a couple of these out just myself uh melvin uh he says can we sign three verbals early well first of all you don't sign verbals uh, <laughs> verbal verbal and signing are very different but uh no, you, five early enrollees are able to sign for the class of 2014 melvin which actually be for the class of 2013 so that's where the number of 20 comes from there's five spots left over uh they can be taken up by early enrollees they could be taken up by transfers in the program we saw that with silas red so uh going forward that's what you can expect there uh frank and orlando want to know it looks like the 2000 class of 2013 will be less than 75 what are the options of getting up to 75 um frank well i guess what quick one on there you don't necessarily want to be we saw there was a problem with kylie fitz last year uh, trying to bring in early enrollees. If there's not guys that you don't, if you if you don't anticipate enough guys graduating early, you might want to stay under 75 so you can bring in an early enrollee. Otherwise, you can offer walk-ons. Uh, you can bring in transfers, uh, things like that. So, any comments there, Gerard, on on the 75 number? 
No, I, I mean, the only way if you're, you know, hell-bent on being at 75, uh, you know, probably the best way is just to offer walk-ons. Yeah. Um, because then, you know, that's a year-by-year basis type thing. We've seen walk-ons, you know, be on scholarship and be taken off of scholarship. Um, that's less complicated. Uh, I, I think with the group of walk-ons that USC has been able to obtain the last couple of years, there's some guys there that uh, could, could get scholarships and, and are guys that are good enough to be scholarship level guys. Uh, that's probably the easiest way and the least complicated way. Transfers, you know, like we've talked about in the past, guys, Josh Shaw and Silas Red, those become a little more complicated because you have the issue of uh, initial enrollees and the overall number and, you know, what, what class is that? transfer counting towards it becomes a little more complicated and i think some of that is you know what what led to the eventual you know who was on the 75 man roster who was graduating when are these guys going to graduate you know a semester early so they can bring in more early enrollees i I think it got a little convoluted because of some of that and then i mean there can be complications though with with walk-ons, even if it's a walk-on that has has been in the program less than two years, they count as an initial scholarship as well. So Ryan Dillard, who came out of Georgia that everyone's talking about and certainly has performed well, you can see him uh, make a play on one of our recent videos, uh, off-season workout videos. Um, he's only been in the program for one year. If they put him on scholarship this year, for example, he would count as one of those 20 or as one of those 15 initial scholarships. So I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to do something like that. And then if he doesn't real, you know, if he doesn't see enough people graduating early that you can bring in those five early enrollees easily, and you don't have another Kylie Fitz situation happening, then I think he's li- unlikely to get back up to seventy-five. But like Gerard, like Gerard said, it's easier with the walk-ons. There are some complications there, but kind of we'll see, I guess. Um, Matthew wanted to know, Gerard, do you think USC is going to offer Dwight Williams, Dallas Todd, or Buddha Baker? Um, you know, Dwight Williams is an interesting case. I, I think it goes back again to the coaching staff and Mike Eckler just basically getting off the plane, walking on campus and then having a junior day. You know, Dwight Williams was, was noticeably irritated, upset, annoyed, however you want to put it, that I think he didn't get a scholarship offer at USC junior day. Um, you know, there was some talk that they didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him, whereas with Adoree Jackson, he was a little more of a focal point for the coaching staff. You know, Dwight Williams isn't the biggest linebacker in the world. Uh, you know, he's only probably about six foot one, maybe 210 pounds. He gets listed 212 a lot. I don't know if he's really quite that big. Um, you know, Coach Altenberg at, at Sarah High School said a lot of, of him being able to play possibly safety if he really wanted to. And I even mentioned that in, a, in an analysis piece that we did um, with with just the 2014 class and looking at needs and mentioning that Dwight Williams was a guy that maybe could be recruited as a strong safety by USC. There's not a lot of great safeties in this class. So, you know, it's one of those things that you could kind of, you could look at a various factors, why he wasn't offered wide away and there could still be an offer that comes later on. Um, and then you have the argument, well, if you're going to run a three, four variant, if you're going to have that kind of system where you've got outside linebackers that are standing up and basically being defensive ends that, that their responsibility is to contain, then you've got guys that are going to be messing around with those offensive linemen. And whether you're in, you know, the nine technique or you're in a five technique or a seven technique, it doesn't matter. You've got to have some long arms. You've got to be tall. You've got to be rangy. And you've got to be able to put your shoulder down and be able to stop uh, somebody from just pushing you off the ball so the offense can just run around you. 
those guys are going to be in that 6'4", 250, 260 range. And so obviously, you know, Dwight Williams doesn't fit that profile. Someone brought up, though, very astute, you look at some of the guys that USC brought in last year with uh, Michael Hutchings and Quentin Powell, really more Quentin Powell because I think Michael Hutchings is actually going to be a pretty good sizable kid, and I think he's going to be a pretty good inside linebacker. He's about 6'2". He's going to end up probably going to be about 220-plus, I think, by the time he gets on campus at USC. He's got long arms. His dad is a good 6'4". He's got a chance to actually grow even more. I see him having some physical growth potential that is going to make him a pretty good inside linebacker or and, and really quite versatile. I think he could play Mike in the 4'3", and I think he could play inside in the 3'4". I, I think he, with his his understanding of the game, his awareness, uh, just his smarts with football, uh, combined with his physical upside, I think can play inside in either scheme. The guy that's really a question, and this was brought up on the Peristyle, was Quentin Powell. I don't know really where Quentin Powell fits in with this new system. I, I don't see him being able to play outside linebacker at 6'2", 200 pounds. It's pretty small to be able to make an impact anytime soon uh, in, a, in a 3-4 system. Um, and so that's kind of where Dwight Williams is. He's kind of another one of those guys. So that's that's a question. That's that's you know maybe that's a reason why USC you know isn't going to offer Dwight Williams. Dallas Todd, uh, kind of just a question. He's a big receiver. Haven't seen enough of him to really get excited. There's some schools that have offered him from out of state, out of region, and it's really all about that. It's about Notre Dame and, 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 and Ohio State and these schools trying to make a splash in Southern California. I think more than it is, hey, we've seen this guy in person and we really love him because he's going to be a great receiver. I mean, look at UCLA, USC, and Cal. I don't think any of those schools have offered Dallas Todd at this point. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's quite a few local schools that haven't offered him, and so that kind of tells you a little bit about something. Um, you know, a lot of this is, is valuation based on highlight film. And USC does it back east, and the schools from back east do it out here. That's just the way the game has become. <laughs> uh, the third guy, Buda Baker, uh, I think actually does have a chance. You know, it's one of those guys that we're going to kind of have to see how things play out. But right now, regionally, uh, he's getting a lot of love, and he's getting a lot of love nationally, too. So you're, you're seeing him actually have some scholarships from some of the schools out here and recruiting him pretty hard. Um, he's actually going to be at the Under Armour camp in Phoenix next week, uh, or I should say not next week, but the week after. And so we're going to get to see him play a, a little bit, get some regional talent, get to see him play um, a, a little more, at, you know, get some of the better players, I think, regionally, especially in Arizona, which is going to be, I think, stacked this year uh, for talent, and maybe get to see him play against some guys like uh, a Cameron Denson, who's already committed to Arizona State, who's one of the better two-way players that I've seen uh, just regionally. I mean, he's a guy that uh, is a real good receiver, but I tell you what, man, I, I watched his corner film and was really, really impressed with him as a cornerback. I mean, he might be one of the best cornerbacks uh, not just uh, in the West region, but maybe nationally. Um, I kind of have to see him in person, obviously, to back that kind of evaluation up. But just on film, he's really good looking. So you're going to probably see him uh, go against a guy like Buda Baker. And Buda's, Buda's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of uh, uh, times and, and some, some good combine stuff that statistically he looks like he's going to be one of the better players. And obviously, USC, they're going to need some corners. I mean, they really need some corners. They, they really should have two more corners in the 2013 class than they actually signed uh, because they're kind of waiting around for Jalen Ramsey. And I think, you know, they wanted three in this class and they only signed one in Chris Hawk. And so that's going to be one of those positions where they're going to try to probably get at least two, um, if not three in this class. So a guy like Buda Baker could get an offer. Um, they're going to have to be, uh, 
you know, a little more generous, I think, with those offers at uh, at cornerback locally and not just nationally. Um, yeah, we, we, I'm glad we got to talk about the local versus national thing. We Actually, a bunch of the questions were kind of about the local recruit stuff. Um, there's also a couple about what count, can you fill in some of the class of 2013 with any guys that are out there. Frank and Sacramento wanted to know if there's some JUCO guys you could bring in. Morgan Breslin worked out that way. You don't think they're going to fill the uh, class of 2013 at all right now, right? It's going to, they're going to wait until January. Yeah. It's I mean, the pool of guys that are even available right now is, it's very small guys that you could actually bring in in May and be able to participate for fall camp uh, next fall is, is, is just very shallow. So that's not really um, an option uh, with Breslin. Breslin was a guy that was a part of the 2012 class and actually was an early enrollee in that class. So that was a completely different situation. That was a guy that was, you know, recruited uh, straight up for a class and USC actually stole him away from UCLA uh, so you're not going to see, you know, this class backfilled with uh, some just remaining JUCO guys that haven't signed. The really good JUCO players have already signed. And so the, really, like we said, you've got walk-ons and you've got the possibility of some transfers coming in and being able to bolster the roster. Uh, question mark is, you know, you had so many decommitments just kind of coming into signing day. You're going to be able to bring in transfers. You know, you're going to bring in somebody that, um, you know, it's going to have to redshirt or, or might still have to redshirt uh, because of the transfer rules. And then, you know, they're looking at the coaching staff just like some of the kids in that 2013 class were looking at the coaching staff. And I think that uncertainty drove some guys away. So I don't know that it's not going to drive away any potential transfers as well. Um, so you know, everybody just kind of wants to be able to have good players on the roster now. It's probably not going to happen. USC is going to have to develop it in the 14 class. And possibly there's going to be some carryovers to the 2015 class. Remember, that 2015 class is the first class USC can have that will have a full amount of scholarships. So you're talking about the first class that they can try to get back to 85 with. So you might want to roll over some scholarships so you can get plus 25 in that class. If USC, let's say, they don't sign all five early enrollees, and let's say they have – you know, for the 20 that they have in the 2014 class, they only sign, you know, 17 guys, 16 guys. So you get those 16 guys, you're going to have those four left over for the 2015 class, which would make that, you know, a, a full 30-plus scholarship. So that's kind of, you know, one of those things that you can also look for too because you don't all of a sudden have that 75-man cap. And that obviously was something that, was an issue not because of the totality of the number, but the totality of the number just in spring ball because yeah. you had those guys that didn't graduate when they were supposed to graduate, so your early enrollees all of a sudden got bumped. So those complications become obviously less when you have a full 85 and you've got 10 more guys that you can play with on scholarship. One last one, Gerard, because uh, it's only because it's an international question. Mac D in Vancouver. Uh, we don't want to go into this too long, but I don't know how much you thought about this yet. But let's talk about it a little bit. He said, with Junior Day over in 2014 recruiting season taking center stage, what are the position breakdowns that USC would like? How many offensive linemen, DBs, defensive linemen, et cetera, would be ideal for each position if you want to have them all add up to 20? What do you think, Gerard? Any, any initial thoughts on this? We might, we might not have all the details yet, but initial thoughts. Well, we actually you know, put together a, a pretty good um, – you know, breakdown of, of some of the needs with, with just both offense and defense, and it was a pretty um, detailed analysis 
of kind of what USC was looking for and what they wanted. I think, you know, generalities going, I, I think on offense, obviously the big position is going to be offensive line. It's going to be A, keeping the guys that they have committed, committed. Uh, you've got Casey Tucker and you've got Jordan Poland and you've got uh, Tor Logandon. So I think with Tucker having spoken to him just a couple weeks ago, that's a guy that's already on the fence, uh, in my opinion. That's a guy that's already, you know, I'm committed to USC, but I'm looking around. He sounded a lot like some of the guys that decommitted from USC uh, <laughs> last year that committed. So he, he's USC a guy that USC that has drug. to kind of reel in, stay on top of. He didn't make the junior day, nor did Jordan, Jordan Poland. Jordan Poland's going to be a little easier to hang on to, I think, that uh, just because of location and uh, just because of you know his, his relationship with a lot of people that are SC people and kind of knowing the program from other people's perspectives, I think, keeps him committed um, or at least uh, is easier to keep committed than maybe Casey Tucker, who's going to, you know, have obviously the local Arizona schools, but uh, plenty of other schools as well coming in after him, like Notre Dame um, and, and Oregon and, and even Texas. Uh, he's going to have quite a few different schools, and I think he's looking to see what program looks the best. And I think in addition to those three guys, I think USC probably wants to get uh, at least another offensive lineman. So I think you're looking at a minimum of four. I think you would love to get five if you could get another tackle and a guard in there. Um, you know, Damian Mama, 6'5", 265-pound uh, offensive tackle slash guard from St. John Bosco is a guy that, you know, we're looking at that uh, I think is going to be a heck of a player um, that, uh, you know, could be a guy that you could add in that would be a guy that would commit right away and would be – Pretty easy, I think, to stay committed. I think he's a guy that loves USC to where if you offered him, he's going to commit on the spot, and he's a guy that you're not going to have to worry too much about in terms of going off and taking official visits and doing all that kind of stuff. And then obviously USC is going to have their national guys that they're looking at. Um, I think with the receiver position, you'd love to have three guys at wide receiver because you're going to lose Robert Woods, and then you're probably going to lose Marquise Lee this next coming year. So you're losing, you're using, losing two huge parts of your offense. I mean, production-wise, that's the offense last year. <laughs> it's Marquise Lee and Robert Woods. So you'd love to be able to have some redundancy there and kind of try to make up that production between maybe two or three guys. Uh, you know, you're going to have Aguilar coming back. You're going to have Darius Rogers in the mix. Um, you're going to have Stephen Mitchell come in. Uh, but you're really going to go, okay, do you have another dynamic player in the mix like Marquise Lee, maybe you can find him there with uh, over-offering at the receiver position in 2014. So I think you're talking about two or three there. There's going to be a lot of question with USC and the quarterback position. You know, can they hold on to all three of the quarterbacks that they have now? I mean, if they can, then you don't need a quarterback. But if, you know, Cody Kessler or Max Wittick were to transfer uh, because maybe Max Brown ends up winning the quarterback job, then you're going to have to probably get another quarterback in this class. And the guy that they, they offered early and, and are targeting early is uh, is Keller Christ, who's uh, really kind of a little bit of a long shot. Um, he's, you know, from Palo Alto. His dad is actually the quarterback coach for the 49ers. And uh, I think his uncle uh, is actually uh, coaching for Pitts. So, that's going to be a little bit of a stretch maybe, but he's by far the best quarterback on the West Coast. Um, he did come to junior day, so that was good, and he does have a good relationship with a quarterback coach at USC, Clay Helton, who's now the offensive coordinator. Um, but again, you know, with Max Brown there, I think a lot depends on what happens with Max Brown. If Max Brown wins the starting job, you can kiss, I think, getting a real big-time five-star top quarterback uh, kiss, kiss that kind of way. I, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to 
kind of stack quarterbacks like that um, if you're going to have your true freshman as a starter. So it makes it kind of weird because if he's the starter, you're kind of getting hit both ways. You're getting hit on the recruiting trail in 2014 because nobody wants to come in right after, you know, got a guy in the class ahead of him that's going to be the starter. Kind of hard to get playing time that way. I mean, other than you're just going to get a year unless you redshirt. And none of these kids that are, you know, these big five-star guys necessarily want a redshirt right off the bat. And then at the same time, if you've got Max Brown starting at quarterback, uh, you're probably going to have a disgruntled, um, you know, redshirt sophomore there, Max Wittick or Cody Kessler. So <laughs> I don't know what SC's going to do there. They're right. kind of in a weird position with that. Um, so, you know, recruiting quarterback is going to be interesting. But like I said, Keller, uh, actually Keller Christ, it's not Chris, uh, Keller Christ is going to be a guy that, um, you know, is kind of the guy for a while until I think USC figures out, okay, what we're going to do with our quarterback position. And if Max Brown's the guy, then we're probably going to have to go look for somebody that we're going to be able to develop, maybe somebody that's a little lower on the radar. Um, one of the big positions with going to the new front on defense is going to be outside linebacker. I, I think that's a position where USC is going to try to take two guys. You're going to look at some guys like Tyler, uh, Tyler Luatua, who's uh, you know, about 6'4", 230 pounds, from La Mirada High School. Uh, he's already kind of got USC and Oak, uh, in Alabama up there at the top of his list. His brother, Isaac, actually plays for Alabama, and so a lot of people feel like Alabama's kind of in the lead there. Uh, but USC, you know, they, he came down to junior day, and, and evidently that went pretty well. I, I like him better as an NFL linebacker than a tight end. I think he likes to play tight end better, but to be honest, I, I've seen him play. He's much better uh, playing uh, defense, in my opinion, and I think that's kind of his future, and I think he would be perfect for USC's front as an outside linebacker um, other than that USC's got quite a few uh, offers out to you know Georgia and Alabama and those type of places and we'll see if they're able to get somebody nationally at that outside linebacker position um, and, and obviously you know we talked about cornerback you know USC's going to try to get I think a, a, a minimum of four DBs you're probably looking at two corners two safeties it could end up being maybe one safety, three corners. It's just going to depend on quality. Uh, I think, you know, who can you get? If you can get three real quality corners, you try to get three real quality corners. Problem is, I don't know if you're going to be able to get that many good corners in this class. It's usually kind of, I guess, traditionally, historically for USC, it's been tough to really get great corners. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was going to be by far the highest-rated corner USC had signed in a decade. And for whatever reason, they just have not been able to get a ton of really great corners. I mean, you're looking back to Sharice Rice, uh, or Sharice Wright, Sharice Wright, God, I couldn't really say that, Sharice <laughs> Wright. Um, you're looking back at Terrell Thomas. You're looking back at Eric Wright. Um, you're looking, you know, to, I mean, really T.J. Bryant, I think, was probably the highest rated guy that they brought in who was a five-star at one point, but then dropped dramatically during the year in the rankings. And obviously when he went to USC, you saw why he dropped dramatically. (laughs) He just was maybe the most overrated player they've ever signed. So, you know, USC has not had a lot of luck in terms of recruiting top-end talent at corner uh, uh, just at face value. What about Kevin Thomas? How, How high was he ranked? Kevin Thomas was another guy that was just a four-star. I mean, he was good. He was like 250, maybe borderline 100, if I can recall off the top of my head. But he certainly wasn't, you know, one of these guys nationally that everybody was, was, you know, oohing and on over. This is Um, funny, Joe. Just just a four-star, maybe top 100 guy. That's that's what it comes to when we cover USC recruiting. If they're top 100 guys, (laughs) that's usually pretty good, but not at USC. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they, well, you know, it's USC when they had successful guys, though, I think it, it, it kind of pounds on that point. 
you know, it, it's the local guys. I mean, those are the guys that turn out. T.J. Bryant, he played probably five games in total at USC and, and really didn't do a whole lot, and he was the guy that was supposed to be the end-all, be-all next to Patrick uh, Peterson, uh, a.k.a. Patrick Johnson, in that class. And then you look at the guys that USC has recruited that have actually turned out and been NFL guys. Those have all been local guys. I mean, it's just like looking over at those Heisman jerseys. You know, you're going, well, well which guy's from Georgia? Which guy's from Florida? Show me the guy from Alabama because, you know, USC's got all those offers down south. And there's none of them. Those, those are not <laughs> that's where the top players for USC have come from. They're coming from the local high schools, and, and they've been brought up, and they haven't always been the guys that have been, oh, you know, this is going to be the greatest player in the world. It's just been, you know, a local low four-star kid like Josh Pinkard or Kevin Thomas or Terrell Thomas, you know, good players, but not necessarily, you know, the end-all, be-all guys that sometimes USC gets enamored with back east. So, you know, that's, that's with, with USC in this class recruiting corners or recruiting safeties, they could really go crazy on either position. I just don't know if the talent pool is there to do it. You know, this past class was really the class you wanted to get you know, three corners at, or you wanted to get, uh, you know, uh, three safeties at, especially with safety. You know, I mean, USC was really, I think, primed to try to sign three safeties. I think they wanted to get Sue Cravens, uh, Leon McQuay, and they wanted to get Max Redfield. I think that was really what they were shooting for. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. At least they got McQuay and they got Cravens, and they both got him in early, and that's going to be a big deal for them right now. McQuay is actually playing corner. So we'll see how that works out. But um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think, you know, stacking positions, you, it depends on, A, the class, and it depends on the talent and the depth of talent in that class. And, B, it obviously depends on what kind of view you have and kind of what the situation and the context is with your coaching staff. You know, do you have guys there that are going to be there? When you're recruiting out of state, and I said this before and I'll say it again, uncertainty is a dagger. I mean, uncertainty is just the death rattle. When you start to have coaches coming and going and you have coaches on the hot seat, those kids from back there, they're going to they're gonna stay home. I mean, if they get any kind of excuse to stay home or their parents get an excuse to get in their ear and say, ah, wouldn't you rather stay a little closer? Wouldn't you rather go to the SEC? It's just erodes any kind of commitment that you have with that kid. So uh, locally, I mean, USC's got to put some more, you know, some investment in some of these local kids as long as there are questions about, you know, whether Lane Kiffin is going to be at USC next year. You know, how many games are they winning? Uh, what's the state of the program? What's going on with sanctions? All those kind of questions, those got to be answered before you can start, you know, going off into the boondocks and, and recruiting on the East Coast. All right. Well, I don't know if I should have last, asked that last question. It was about a 10-minute answer, but we needed to get the Vancouver question in there. So we love our neighbors to the north. But thanks again, Gerard. Uh, good stuff, and um, we'll get you back on again real soon. We'll see what's going on. I know spring football is coming up, so we'll probably do a lot of that coverage and everything. But uh, we'll get you back, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Again, apologize for having it a couple of days late. I was on the road covering some different stuff and recruiting and up at Fresno. But uh, we'll be back at our regular showtime next Monday. It'll be a kickoff for spring football as that starts on Tuesday. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.